Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an Associate Professor of Management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. We have two veterans on the podcast today. They are Phronesis veterans. It's a small but mighty band. I think maybe Ron Riggio might be the only other repeat visitor. So today we have Ralph Gelati and we have Marcy Shankman. They have been on a writing adventure for probably, <laughs> I think, Marcy, maybe you told me about this project about two years ago. <laughs> so. That would be correct. It's been a couple of years. It's okay. a journey. Okay. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's all around uh, leadership and assessment. And you all have been immersed in that topic for a couple of years now. So for everybody, we will put this in the show notes, but Ralph just was promoted at Rutgers. So we might hear a little bit about that. Marcy is with the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. And we had a really fun conversation. I think that episode published maybe last November, Marcy. That was a great conversation. And, and Ralph, we had a conversation around that time as well. Yes. So maybe bring listeners up to speed with each one of you. And then let's jump into your writing project. Sounds great. Yes. So good to be with you both. I was recently promoted to assistant vice president for strategic programs in the office of university strategy. Nice. So I'm really looking forward to that new, exciting venture. In addition to the ongoing work with our center as the director of the center for organizational leadership at Rutgers and, and both sort of align so nicely with my own personal and professional goals and really, really looking forward to it. You're now you're now part of the strategery, right? Is that is it strategery or is Strate it strategy? <laughs> I mean, we're we're using strategy at, at Rutgers, but I'm, other places might use strategery. <laughs> you might want to look into that. Yes, <laughs> and Marcy. So I'm so excited because strategy is in my title as well, and it's Oof. yet another cool connection that Ralph and yes. I have that have that has emerged over the years of us knowing each other. Still at the Cleveland Metropolitan School District, heavily engaged in phenomenal strategic work as we look to transform what urban public education looks like and how do you redesign a culture and an organization to support that given the post-pandemic realities that we're facing. 
It has brought new challenges and opportunities to the leadership team. So serving as the leadership coach and strategist at the district means that I am busier than ever. And we are charting new terrain like I never would have imagined. So it is super exciting and fascinating, endlessly fascinating still. Good, good. Well, both of you are immersed in this world of scholar practitioner, steeped in the literature, familiar with it, but also doing the work. And so that's why I always love these conversations, because I think it's a very, very special place to be at that nexus of the theory and the scholarship and the work. And today is really kind of about this writing project that the two of you have been working on. Uh, Marcy, I heard about this first from you. Maybe bring listeners into, and has it been published? Is it out in the world? We are so close, Scott, for this release to come. Oh, good. I would say that to the listeners, depending on when you post this podcast, it will either be hot off the press or nearly off the press. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because there's actually no press involved. We are looking at an ebook. Yeah. And that's a new endeavor for us both to not have this come forward in any hard copy format. We're close. We're super yeah. close. So we have a phenomenal team of authors who we pulled together to help us educate, inform, provoke, and challenge leadership educators and professionals on this topic of leadership assessments. It was a true passion project that I will confess I wasn't sure I was actually as passionate about as I turned out to be. Good. So that was an exciting learning experience for me. I wrangled Ralph to be the co-editor with me. And thank goodness he said, yes, we've had a great time discovering more about one another professionally through the lens of these topics of how, how do we think about leadership assessments broadly? What is the ethical and effective use of them? And that's actually the title of this upcoming manuscript turned book that's in the New Directions for Student Leadership series. And maybe well, that I'll pause there and and see what else you want to know and and let Ralph fill in some of the gaps. No, yes. I think that's I think that's great. I mean, I think what I would like to call this episode is leadership assessments: the good, the bad, and the ugly. What did you find? I mean, I'm I'm really interested because you you hear kind of all across the board. I don't know if the two of you have watched this documentary on HBO Max about the MBTI. Have you seen this? No. So really interesting about how, and, and I love the fact that you're talking about the ethical use of these assessments and how should they be framed, but maybe we start there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What do you think? What, Ralph, maybe we go to you first. Sure. How about the good? What'd you find? So it has been a great project to work on. And with Marcy and our co- co-authors, thinking about the, the structure of the book, we start out first in the first half by laying out sort of principles, some guiding themes for how these assessments might be used effectively and ethically. And then a series of chapters in the second half of the book focused on applications. Those are the practice chapters. Um, And I think what we've learned, especially from the good, is that assessments add tremendous value if used with intentionality, Uh, if linked with some broader theoretical frame, uh, if 
facilitated appropriately and effectively by individuals who are qualified to help with the assessment and the debriefing, and also can be tremendously effective if they meet students or faculty or staff or clients or whomever the end user might be in ways that meet them where they are, in ways that are inclusive. And for all of those reasons, to not take this process lightly. For listeners, I wish you I wish you could have seen this because if you listen closely, Ralph underscored and bolded some key words and he kind of leaned in as he was saying those key words in his response that. I, I love how you frame that, Ralph. Marcy, what else on the good? What do you think? One of the commitments that we held to from the beginning through to the end was that these tools, these inventories are phenomenal assets when used well. Mm. And we've got tremendous examples in a variety of settings and fields. So we pushed the boundaries of this series, which is traditionally just focused on higher education and the college campus, to be inclusive of multiple sectors because leadership assessments are used all over. And so we brought authors from those diverse sectors so that our higher education professionals would have some insights from the private sector, would have some insights from the nonprofit sector, from the public sector, because those are the sectors that our students are going into. And we want them to be fully prepared in understanding their leadership capacity. And that's really what these assessments are about. That's one thing I would add. The other thing I would add, and Ralph highlighted this beautifully, which is so much of how valuable an assessment can be. So the good of an assessment intentionally linked with why you're using it, who is using it, and and to what end. So the role of learning outcomes and curriculum that is designed for the inclusion of an assessment, as opposed to, here, take a test. I'll tell you if you're a leader or not. Yeah, yeah. We tried to confront that head on. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I remember probably the first one I ever took was, you know, disc. And yeah, and and at least what I walked away from this, and I'm probably you all 22 at that point. I just walked away like, oh, I'm I'm a D. Okay, well, I'm a D. And you know, there's an awareness building piece there, but if not, like you said, facilitated appropriately. I think it can be limiting for sure. Any one of these, right? Any one of these. What were some other insights on the good? What do you think? How are these things being used? How are these resources being used? And what are some best practices that you came across? I I think the one piece for me that I was really struck by, and a number of our co-authors reflected beautifully on this, was how some of these tools are triangulated in a really purposeful way. So we'll have sort of a menu of selected instruments or tools, some validated and perhaps some that are not validated to encourage students to to sort of take different dimensions away from each of the assessments and helping to sort of pull together a profile that's most reasonable, most meaningful for them. Yeah. And, um, and I think this sort of integration of a, of a menu of different assessments was a really, it's a nice model for, for leadership educators and those engaged in leadership development to consider recognizing the limitations associated with any one. Well, Marcy, in, in our past, We've done a, a little bit of that work. Is that what Ralph is talking about here, where we would 
you know, maybe provide the participant with StrengthsFinder, with MBTI, with TKI, with something measuring the, the emotionally intelligent leadership inventory. But then they would also maybe talk with people they know and find out what their perceptions around the individual strengths and weaknesses were. And then we kind of bubble up and we start looking for some themes. Is that kind of how you're thinking about that, Marcy, as well? So I think there's a yes and with yeah. what you just shared. So I think that's a great example. Now I that you the, now that you included the and, I feel much better because if there would have been a but, I would have <laughs> just been shut down now as the host. And I have to be inclusive <laughs> in how we talk about this work, Scott. <laughs> Being emotionally intelligent as we are, you've got to do the yes and. The, the, the process I will share as an editor and working with these authors was a great dimension to doing this work. What I learned from a number of our authors was the ways in which you situate an assessment. To your point, you do an assessment and what else? Mm. So in the practice chapters that really comprise the second half of the book that Ralph outlined, we have our authors intentionally outlining how they use the assessments that they're describing and the variety of ways in which assessments can be used far exceed some of the basic expectations. So when I was reading these chapters from our authors, I was learning just as much as I was reviewing Nice. and their insights to how do you use an assessment in a formal classroom? How do you use an assessment outside of the classroom? How do you use the assessment with graduate students? How do you use the assessments as part of the human resource development pipeline Mm. in in a company? And we felt like all of those different ways in which assessments can be used was important for our reader to understand. Because even if you are in a traditional student affairs role using an assessment with your students in a co-curricular setting, having the broader vantage of here are some different ways to take the learnings, even outside of this activity that you're engaged in, and project into career development, project into identity development. A lot of our authors emphasize dimensions of identity. Mm. And this gets to some of the bad and the ugly parts of assessments. How many of these assessments, Scott, are created, as you know, not in statistically significant ways based on pools of individuals that are not diverse and representative of our population speaks to the bias and speaks to some real strong limitations that we know exist, not only the ones that I'm sure are highlighted in that documentary you talked about with Myers-Briggs, because that's well-documented in the literature. Actually, the majority of assessments are not normed on a representative sample. And so we have to be thoughtful as users of these tools with our students and our authors, the majority of them consistently reference. So how do we actually help students in the learning process and the co-authoring of their results, not to get the answers that they want, rather to situate and contextualize to manage those limitations. Sometimes from the get-go of these assessments, because they were developed in a very limited fashion, and now they're being generalized to all people, regardless of 
identities, regardless of backgrounds and experiences. And we know that that isn't true. Yeah, we have we have to deconstruct and reconstruct often in order to get to the deepest meaning of what the results are. Well, I had mentioned that I thought that maybe DISC was my first, but I, I was reflecting as you spoke. I think the first one I ever took was it was probably 12 questions. You might know Mary Peterson, right? Hey, Mary. <laughs> Hi, Mary. And, and it was a wonderful it was a wonderful assessment and we got a flavor of ice cream. We could probably look it up on the internet and I ended up being chocolate. So I'm probably guessing now in retrospect, maybe the ice cream assessment personality assessment test had not been uh, validated. <laughs> may not have, Chrome box alpha may have been an issue. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes marcy are you telling me i may not be a chocolate (laughs) i'm telling you that it may not be as reliable of a response as you had thought when you first took the assessment now listen we know that there are some really insightful ways of learning about ourselves that are not normed yeah what we also know is we have to be really careful so this gets to the bad and the ugly we have to be really careful about how much meaning we derive from those kind of, I call them Cosmo quizzes for those of our listeners who remember the Cosmopolitan magazine of the eighties. I'm dating myself. There were always quizzes in there. Well, you know, we got to be careful with what we learn from these light touches. It's not that they can't be helpful is that we have to be really careful about how much meaning we, we ascribe to them. I love it. Ralph, what do you think, sir? I I think that is um, so uh, well articulated, Marcy, and certainly reflects my own interpretations of the the, the bad and the ugly um, in terms of what we learn from the different authors and in their chapters. The the one, the, the, the mantra of sort of do no harm is really what stood out to me. And I don't, I don't think any leadership educators or individuals that are using these assessments has the intention of doing harm when we're using these yeah. for pedagogy, right? Um, but I think if they're facilitated inappropriately, or if they're not facilitated in a way that that recognizes the unique lived experience of all in each student who are completing the assessment, it has the potential to do harm, either yeah. in in constraining learning, in minimizing what individuals might take away from their own sort of leadership sense-making, or perhaps even worse, not recognizing some of the the, um, the barriers that yeah. individuals might face or encounter when applying what they learn from these assessments in navigating various leadership roles or structures. So I think for all of those reasons, to think about how we can encourage readers and individuals that are using these assessments to use them in ways that maximize student learning, that yeah. maximize student engagement, and that are really honest with the intention of the assessment. What anything come to mind for you for ugly that that you came across that just really stood out? And Marcy, this may not allied. I saw that you just raised your hand. You want to jump in? This may not have to do with what I just asked, but go for it. What do you think? I feel like I'm raising my hand and it's like, pick me, pick me, Scott. I want to participate <laughs> For our in listeners, the podcast. This is how we're trying to not talk over each other because we're trying to be coordinated. So I raised yeah. my hand because what I wanted to. And Marcy and jump, I get really excited about this too. So we would often jump on, on one another. Me, here. Yes, right. 
So part of what you were just uh, commenting on, Scott, and you asked about was where I was heading, which is one of my fears. And it's actually a a motive. It was a primary motivation for why I said, yes, I wanted to take on this responsibility of editing this book and pulling together this amazing team. I just cannot tell you enough how terrific our team of authors are. It's because I've seen over the years too many quick fixes sought by individuals through the use of a tool. So there's a problem. Let's take an assessment and then the assessment results will fix the problem. Not the best use of a leadership tool. Yeah. We have a team that's dysfunctional. So rather than actually doing the hard work and having that crucial conversation or that direct confrontation, we've got a team member who's wrestling an issue which is now negatively impacting the whole team. Let's do a team assessment and learn about what makes for a high-functioning team and not actually deal with the elephant in the room, which is this problem. Yeah. That's coming from an individual's behavior where direct feedback and coaching is needed. What I appreciated so much about this learning journey of the last two years was challenging myself and then even challenging our authors to say, how do we explain what in an intentional, deliberate process is needed in order for a tool to work? There may be a popular one that everyone is using right now. So that's the one you want to pick. How do we interrogate whether that's the right tool for what purpose and for whom? Because we can get caught up in the leadership industry. And I think the three of us have all talked about how we know we're part of this industry. So how do we contribute to the solution rather than being part of the problem. And I'm hopeful that this publication helps us contribute to the solution of how do we best use assessments ethically and effectively for the desired purposes of improving what leadership looks like. I love it. Ralph, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think to, to go to your question of the the ugly Scott, um the the book doesn't detail uh, specifically some of the ugly uses of these assessments necessarily, but I think we all may have encountered in some ways the abuses or misuses of these tools yep. for purposes that they were not intended or designed for. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where we see the ugly in action. Well, what I would love to hear from each one of you is maybe a reflection that stands out for you as you think about this project? What was an insight that we maybe haven't covered just in how I framed the conversation? But was there something you came across from an author that just made you think, oh, wow, I hadn't framed it or thought of it in that way before? Anything come to mind for you? That's an interesting question. I, the first thing that comes to mind is not a specific author, but I, I've always been intrigued by, and, and I think this is shaped by the work I've been doing at Rutgers, um, this, this notion of lateral learning. So although we're approaching leadership development in an academic context, we can learn a tremendous amount from Johnson & Johnson across the street from us, right? Yeah. even though the context is different. And I think when Marcy and I were initially having conversations about sort of the scope of the book, we were really excited about diversifying the author's so that we could still focus on student leadership development, 
but learn from applications in other sectors. And I think reading those chapters in particular, um, there, there's a tremendous amount we can learn by looking beyond the walls of the academy. Yep. And, and I think um, as it relates to assessments and instruments, it, it certainly uh, lines up with our experience. Awesome. I think for me, what I came to appreciate was the breadth of the tools that are available and the difficulty in deciding what makes the most sense Mm. and the paralysis that you can experience as a leadership professional when you know that it makes sense to use an assessment. And then you start the process of figuring out, well, so what tools should I use? Which assessment? The inclination is to go with the flow or go with the crowd. And what I learned was that the field is even bigger than I realized. I thought Mm. I knew a lot about what tools are available. I got to tell you, I learned so much about what tools are actually being used and in what way can you use them so that we're advancing our knowledge, awareness, and ability to demonstrate leadership. It just overwhelms me how big of a marketplace it is. Well, I'm I'm interested in knowing is there a is there a tool or a set of tools that stood out to you that you think are worth investigating that that as you learned about them you thought huh I want to learn more about that work and that perspective and and what these folks have developed that maybe you hadn't heard of before either one of you so Scott we tried to be really agnostic in the book and not advocate for any particular tool. So I'm you're doing pressed. a you're doing a an and not a but but an and to me here. It's another version of it, Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> I understand where you're going. Well, I'm what can I say? You. What can I say? <laughs> For listeners, I, we're good friends, so we like to banter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I can't. I think because of that, I can't answer your question because I haven't yeah. thought about the the individual tool as something for me personally to consume. I really spent the majority of my energy on how do we make sure that we are informing to your title of our podcast, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Because every assessment has its limitations. Yeah. Every inventory has its strengths. Every survey can be misused or used well. And so I think I'm literally incapable of answering because I haven't been thinking that way at all. I love it. I love it. And, and <laughs> I totally agree with that. Um, I also would add that I spent so much time right before bed, just Googling, right? Like all of these assessments and instruments that were being shared by our authors that go beyond the normal ones that most of us are familiar with. Strengths, DISC, Hogan, um, TKI, but there were a whole bunch of other ones that I had never heard of. And I feel like I've been using assessments with some frequency for a while now. So that, um, yes, the huge marketplace that Marcy described, it was reinforced in the chapters. Yeah. Well, I love it because we're leaving listeners on a little bit of a of a exactly cliff, a cliffhanger. Yes. They have to go e- explore the publication to they do. Yes. They okay. do. And let me just add, wait, one more thing. Yeah. Yeah. What we were afraid of was that this diverse 
collection of authors would all write to the same assessments. And therefore, we as editors would have to wrangle one away from one author so that another author could write about it. What I will tell you, Scott, and all of your listeners, we have some overlap chapter to chapter. So a couple of assessments are reviewed by a couple of different authors. We did not have to wrangle at all. And the list was much longer than the half a dozen easily recalled assessments that most leadership professionals think about. We probably are covering, what would you say, Ralph, 18 or 20? Nice. Oh, good. And then great. we have an appendix that refers to another 60. Yes. <laughs> really? We've, re- we've revised yeah. that several times over, but yes, over 50. Over 50. So when we are struggling to answer your question, that's why. Yeah. Because there was a lot, it's a, it's a big marketplace. That's, that's all I can say. So go ahead and tell listeners the title of the publication. We're going to wind down. I'm going to ask you the traditional question of what you've been reading, what stood out lately. Both of you gave me great responses last time that provided hours of education or fun. So what's the title of the publication, Marcy? I don't remember the formal title, Ralph. <laughs> you don't remember. We're in, well, we're in the process of editing and final editing. Yeah. And so now I'm I'm just sort of laughing because <laughs> I don't know where we left it off with our editors. Because, you know, there's yeah. when you edit a book, there's and when you edit edit this book in the New Direction series, there yeah. are senior editors. Yeah, so that's true. Susan Comavez and Kathy Guffrey are shaking their heads right now. Like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> that you was can't your big moment to promote the book. <laughs> exactly. Help me out here, Ralph. This is why I have a partner. Uh, yes, I, I'm also, I'm, I'm, uh, googling, I'm everybody <laughs> listening right now is Googling frantically. <laughs> the effective and ethical use of leadership as, as assessments and instruments really gets at the heart of the title. We might be off by a couple of words, but that's. <laughs> this is what happens, Scott, when you ask us and we aren't done yet because we're literally in the process of editing. In fact, no, so I, the, proofs, the proofs just arrived this morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. Oh, no, time. no, I totally understand. And Marcy, if you were <laughs> to say to me right now, in, in all in all honesty, what is the title of the textbook you wrote with Tony Middlebrooks? Sorry, Tony. I can't tell you. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd get some of the words correct, but maybe not the whole thing. So I get it. I get it. Okay. Uh, Marcy, the last time you were here, you shared with me the work of James Clear tiny yeah. atomic little baby habits right bj fog and i and i yes. explored that and that was really cool stuff and ralph had i believe ralph you introduced me to the tv show the politician yes on netflix which mm. was hours of kind of dark humor which i enjoyed as well what it, what stood out for the two of you lately either any, something you've been streaming listening to reading just consuming i, I just finished upstream by dan heath Okay. which was great. It was a great read and how we can address some of those up. There it is. Marcy is holding up the book right now. It's really excellent, right, Marcy? How do we address Phenomenal. some of those yeah. upstream preventative factors to avoid some of the downstream issues that we deal with in organizations of all kinds? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And, and Heath was made to stick. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the brothers. And great. switch. Oh, and switch. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Marcy, 
You just held up that book. So you're going to have to come up with something different. Yeah. Well, I read that. Sorry, Ralph. I read that months ago. (laughs) (laughs) I've been editing a book, co-editing a book, Marcy. What? Really? (laughs) So I'm in this phenomenal book group and we just finished Adam Grant's new book, Think Again. which I listened to first. And then I read, which is a new approach for me. And I have to share, it was really satisfying to hear it first. And partially I was so compelled by the content that I knew I had to own it. The process of reading after listening though, in terms of learning was a really, really cool experience. So if you haven't done it before, I highly encourage listen to a book first, then follow it up with reading it. I did the same thing with cast by Isabel Wilkerson, yeah. which was, uh, if you haven't read that book, that is just a lights out powerful. It sits with you for a long time. And then the last book that I'll tell you that I'm reading that I'm almost done with is called positive intelligence. Okay. And it talks about the ways in which we get in our own way. It is a fantastic handbook for self-exploration and individual coaching of yourself. (laughs) And as a coach, it is a phenomenal tool to use with others. And it happens to have one of these great assessments online that's easy to take and gives you immediate results. So it even wraps us back to the topic of our conversation with you today. Nice. Okay. Uh, To the two of you, thanks for exploring this space. I think it's a really, really cool project. It's really very much needed. And putting a critical eye to that, I think, is only a contribution to the work that we do. So thank you for that work. Uh, Ralph, Marcy, thank you for being two-time guests on Phrenesis. Thank you. And Thanks so much. We really, really appreciate your time today. And for listeners... We will put the title and a link to the book in the show notes. <laughs> the real title. <laughs> Couldn't Google it quickly enough. <laughs> Take care, everybody. And Have a great day. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Bye. Ralph. Thank you so much. The practical wisdom in this episode was summed up by Ralph in the following quote. What we've learned is that assessments add tremendous value if used with intentionality if linked with some broader theoretical frame, if facilitated appropriately and effectively by individuals who are qualified to help with the assessment and the debriefing. Bam. I think that says it all. That is the practical wisdom. And as we all know, there's a whole industry around assessments. And there is the good, the bad, and the ugly. So those are some wonderful hints as to how to seek out the good. Take care, everyone. As always, thank you for listening. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phronesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phrenesis. If you like Phrenesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation, 
podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.